five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. And welcome back into the Bama on three show. This is your host, Clint Lamb, sitting here once again for the third time this week, if you can believe it, with the great Jimmy Stein. Jimmy, how are we doing today, buddy? I am doing great. This is a big Alabama sports weekend between the scrimmage that we're going to talk about today. Alabama's got a huge baseball series against Auburn, softball plays, there's basketball visitors, basketball hires. So big Alabama sports weekend. I'm excited about all of it. Yeah, I am too. The scrimmage is what we're here today to talk about. Uh, We wanted to preview it a little bit. This episode, it's not just about the scrimmage. Yeah, I think people can get value out of it after the scrimmage on Saturday, but I think we'll be talking a little bit about certain aspects of the scrimmage and kind of what to look out for, what we're looking out for, hoping to see. And really, let's just go ahead and dive right into it, because that's exactly what I'm going to ask you first. You know, going into the second scrimmage, we learned quite a bit last week, I feel like, about certain things. But what do you hoping to learn from this scrimmage uh, on Saturday, which is the second one. It's the last one ahead of uh, the A-Day game, which is on April 22nd, which is next Saturday. Jimmy, what are you hoping to learn? Well, it would be nice. I mean, just generally, you know, I think with so much attention on the quarterbacks, uh, hopefully, you know, Nick Saban said they had a good day, the first scrimmage. It would be nice to hear that they both had a good day. I think fans would really – enjoy to learn there's some sort of separation between the two that Milrow's ahead of Simpson or Simpson's ahead of Milrow. They would like to hear that. But the fact of the matter is in terms of what's best for the team is if they're both playing well and they make this a difficult decision on the coaches because they're both playing well. Because as we've talked about before, you're going to need both. Alabama needed two quarterbacks to get through the 13 games last season. And, and, and Tua got hurt in 2019, and you needed Jalen and Tua in 2018 and Jalen and Tua in 2017. Uh, two quarterbacks started in 2015. Uh, you're going to need two. Someone could get hurt. So really, it's in Alabama's best interest that both quarterbacks play well and, and make it a really tough decision on the staff. So that's one thing. Secondly, I think what I would like to hear is the defense stepping up a little more. The first scrimmage seemed like it was a really good day for the offense. Well, if we have a really good offense and the defense is bad, it's going to be kind of a disappointing season. So I know the defense is missing a few guys, Clint, but uh, I think it'd be pretty good news if we hear that the defense had a pretty nice day on Saturday too. Yeah, I'm right there with you. What's unfortunate, if the defense has a good day, that means the quarterbacks probably didn't, right? Or the running backs didn't. Like we heard great things about Justice Haynes last week um, as far as running through tackles and playing physical and and you want to hear that's one of the big things that I'm looking out for is just can guys kind of build on their early momentum whether that be the young guys you know we've heard good things about Justice Haynes we've heard good things about Caleb Downs we've heard good things about Malik Benson heard some good things about Caden Proctor and James Smith but then you also got the veteran guys as well the Ja'Cory Brooks of the world the Roydale Williams the the Jamil Burrows the, you know that's a guy who I heard had a pretty good scrimmage last week so it's whether it be from a first year player or from a you know veteran perspective, can guys build on momentum? Uh, if the defense has a good day, uh, you might not see a lot of positive momentum from a guy like Justice Haynes or you know the, the quarterbacks. They have a lot of positive momentum after last week. You know, limiting the turnovers and uh, and performing well, playing well within the pocket, playing well within the offense. And so this is kind of the situation you you run into when it's the spring. Someone's got to lose, right? Someone's going to win, but someone's got to lose. Does that concern you at all? 
Um, a little bit, but you're right about it. It's such a good point about, you know, when one side or the other looks good, you're going to have questions about the other side, just like I did when Nick Saban said, hey, the offense was pretty good last Friday. And then you're like, oh, the defense. But but the defense was missing a few guys. But, you know, I've learned a long time ago, used to go to, uh, you know, a lot of these scrimmages and, and A days back before going to A day was cool. And one thing that's always stuck with me, Clint, what I always knew or, or know about fans is they really care about offense. And that's because at every scrimmage I've ever been to, at every A day I've ever been to, when the offense makes a play, the crowd goes nuts. They clap and they stand and they cl- every time there's a big offensive play. And I want to say, hey, we just gave up a 65-yard touchdown. Not sure why everybody's so excited. But, uh, yeah, every every scrimmage is a little give and take. A good play by one kid is a bad play by another. That 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 is definitely the case. Here, but here's a, a bigger point about – about what we might see or, or what I hope to see or who's having a good scrimmage and who's having a bad scrimmage. This team doesn't have a lot of established stars, guys that are going into the season that are big stars in college football. I can name about, frankly, three, okay, on the whole team. Kool-Aid, who's the best cornerback maybe in all of college football. Dallas Turner, who's on the NFL radar big time. Maybe some people a little disappointed in the season last year, but now out of Will Anderson's shadow, and, and I think we're going to see the real Dallas Turner this fall. That's exciting. He's a star. Will Riker, who's the greatest kicker that's ever kicked at Alabama, he's a star because he's the best to ever do it at Alabama. So that's three. But that's really it. I think we know, Clint, me and you, and I think a lot of our listeners, we know that we have other really good players, two are offensive linemen. I think we know that J.C. Latham and Tyler Booker are great players up front. They're great. Offensive linemen, it's just kind of, you know, they don't carry the ball. They don't score touchdowns. When offensive linemen are your best players, I don't want to use the word boring, but, you know, it's not like they rack up stats. We just know they're really good and they're future first-round picks probably, J.C. Latham and Tyler Booker both. But what Alabama needs, Clint, in these scrimmages and going into the fall for me to feel better about the team is we need some new star players, not – not good players, but stars, guys like Malik Benson. You know, we it would be great if he was a star. I mean, it's going to be helpful if he's good, but we sort of need him to be a star. How about a running back like Jam Miller or Justice Haynes? We know Jace is good. Jace McClellan's a good player. Is he a star? Is, do people, does Joe football fan in California know who Jace McClellan is? Probably not. You know, we, we need star players to emerge and the scrimmage is a good time for it to start absolutely yeah and and with the scrimmage i would love to see hustle and effort right you play how you practice and you would think that with the way that alabama has come up short the last two years guys are playing with a little bit more of a chip on their shoulder now i'm not saying that you have to have a kool-aid against kansas state where he tracks backside all the way to the uh, end zone and almost catches Deuce Vaughn as he scores a touchdown. I'm not necessarily talking about that. I'm talking about just guys. You don't see guys taking plays off and loafing around, especially young guys, because that's the big question that you don't know. Uh, and I mean, that, that goes for veteran guys as well. You know, you can see certain guys taking plays off sometimes and you want to see that kind of get cleaned up. You also want to see those young guys, if they're coming in and they're hustling and doing all the right things, you at least know that if from a, a mental aspect, maybe they haven't grasped everything that they need to grasp, they're giving 110% effort on every snap. 
And so with those young guys next week, now granted, we're not going to see the scrimmage this Saturday, but if you're a fan and you're watching next week at the A-Day game, that's certainly something that I would be keeping an eye on because I think that that's pretty important in the past. You've seen guys who ended up having a huge role give a ton of effort. And so, you know, the James Smiths of the world, the Quay Russo, that's the kind of guys that I would love to just see them playing with their hair on fire because that's the way that they played in high school. And you certainly hope they didn't get to the college level and, and regress on that front just because it's not, you know, a full-on game-like atmosphere. I never saw James Smith practice in high school, but I saw him play. And when the lights came on, he he, he gave 110% effort. And the same thing with Russo. So you want to see that continue. And, you know, I think that you've made some great points with the running backs and the star power. And it's not just running backs, it's receivers, it's tight ends. Who was the guy on the field? I would say Jameer Gibbs, probably. He's the closest that we saw. And, and I would say that he was a pretty darn good one, too. But, you know, I think one of the big things with the wide receiver room, who was the player that was stepping on the field that was striking fear into the opposing defense? Was there any players that come to mind for you? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And I'm not, that's not to say that Jermaine Burton's not a good player. He is good. Ja'Cory Brooks is a better player than we give him credit for. It kind of struck me the other day. It's where we talk about this every day, and we do on the Talking Champions board or on the Bam on 3 show, talk about it all the time. And then sometimes things just sort of occur to me. And one thing that occurred to me just in the past week to 10 days, why are we not higher on Ja'Cory Brooks? All, all that kid did was show up as a true freshman and get in the lineup and made the biggest catch of the year in 2021 in a pressure situation to beat Auburn, you know, and, as a true freshman. And then last year, was he a true wide receiver one? Was he a star? Was he one of the best players in the SEC? No, but he was a true sophomore. Uh, and, and he doesn't drop a lot of balls. There have been drops, but he doesn't drop a lot of balls. I, I think Ja'Cory Brooks is a guy we sort of underrate. Now, is he a future first-round pick? Probably not. I think I think Ja'Cory, more than anyone else, suffers from Smitty syndrome. You know, they're not all going to be Smitty. They're not all going to be Ruggs. They're not all going to be Jerry Judy. Ridley, Julio, Amari Cooper, the list of, of wide receiver stars in the Saban era goes on and on. He's not those guys, so we don't think he's good. Well, there's a gulf between greatness and average. And a lot of good players are in that gulf, you know, and I think Jacory is a good player. But does do you have to game plan Jacory? No. Do you have to game plan Jermaine Burton? No. Uh, the Alabama freshman receivers last year really – impressive four freshmen. Kobe Prentice caught 31 balls. Isaiah Bond's the fastest guy on the whole football team. Uh, Kendrick Law, probably the best blocker at wide receiver, and he was a true freshman. Uh, so they're impressive, but do they alter game plans? Not yet. I, I, I hope that as a group, all five of those guys take a step forward and are one year better, but they're all made better because Malik Benson shows up and he's a star. And that's what I don't think enough people realize. Like when evaluating Bryce Young, I've seen a lot of draft evaluators look at him and say, look at that talent he had in Tuscaloosa in 2021, maybe. And I mean, I think there were def some deficiencies as far as his offensive line, but from a star power perspective, and I mean by like high school recruiting stars, sure, surrounded by a lot of talent. But anybody that watched Alabama, if you tell me Bryce Young was surrounded by talent in 2022, I'll show you somebody that hadn't watched a lot of film on Bryce Young because all you had to do was watch. And there were limitations. Were, were there good players? Yes. Should Alabama have been better? Because, I mean, you got to think, even with how many offenses have good players everywhere, 
there, there's very few, which is why Alabama still was able to score a lot of points and have a lot of success on that side of the football. But compare 2022 and just a two-year period to 2020 or 2019 or 2018. I mean, 2018, you had Tua Tungvaloa at quarterback, so you had a, a future number five overall pick in the NFL draft. But you also, I mean, you had Najee Harris in the backfield. That's a headache for opposing defensive coordinators. You had Jerry Judy. You had Jalen Waddle. You had Henry Ruggs. You had Devontae Smith. In 2018, you had Irv Smith Jr., a pretty dynamic tight end. Now, I think that, you know, that the tight end play, maybe not quite as good as Irv Smith Jr., but I don't think Irv was dynamic necessarily. I think he was a really good tight end. There's a reason he was a day two draft pick, second round draft pick. But, you know, I think that a lot of his success came as a result of being a great complimentary player and being a forgotten player because of all the other talent. But across the board, when you include Irv Smith, I think that the fact that you had to look at four future first-round receivers, a first-round running back, you're trying to figure out how are we stopping all these guys. And then you look at a tight end who's a very, very good tight end as well. It's like, well, we can't forget about this guy. Like, we're going to give attention to here and here. I mean, it was just – it was kind of like a pick your poison. This year it was kind of – or this past season, it was kind of the exact opposite in a lot of ways. Like, there was nowhere where you looked and said – that's somebody that we have to take away. Now, granted, I would say Jameer Gibbs was the closest to that. It's just he was a different kind of player than what Alabama was used to having in the backfield. And in the surrounding cast, I think he would have been a lot more effective had they had some guys who could complement that or at least take away some of the attention. And I feel like that that is also a big reason why he kind of struggled. Yeah, one of my most controversial opinions, okay, if you don't agree with this or, or, or a lot of people may not agree with it because it might be going a little too far, and I get that, but I, I think Jameer Gibbs almost personifies the, the 2022 Alabama offense. It's, it's Gibbs that personifies it, and by that I mean, I mean this. I think, other than Bryce, he was Alabama's most dynamic skill player. I, I don't think anybody could really argue that point. I think he was Alabama's best playmaker, the most dynamic player. And if you had to game plan anyone, it's him. If you had to pay extra attention to anyone, it's him. But, but, and this is the big, but, and, and he's a good player and he's maybe a late first round pick or early second round pick, which is amazing for a guy who's really a third down back to me that, that he could be go that high in the drafts because he's so amazing and so dynamic. Well, he's also a running back. And I think playing the traditional running back position in terms of, Quarterback gets the ball, hands it to the running back. Running back takes off probably between the tackles or bounces outside. The, the typical running back play, I'll go so far as to say Gibbs wasn't very good at all. He, he wasn't certainly the least effective of all of the Saban backs going back to 2008. I think we put a better back on the field doing typical running back things every single season better than Gibbs at that. And if you put Jameer Gibbs in the Tennessee Titans offense – doing what Derrick Henry does, the Titans are going to go 3-14 and 14 and not make the playoffs. They're, they're not going to be good. I mean, Gibbs is just not good at all in the traditional running back role. And by that, what I mean is he's not a tackle breaker. I don't think he dropped out of the womb a running back. I think what he is is this unicorn who's a wide receiver that can play the running back position. And he can get away with playing running back and all the things that he does to make a play almost comes from lining up in the backfield, creating mismatches. And then once he gets in space, he's completely dynamic. But in traffic, in a crowd, in the tackle box, totally ineffective. 
And I think that's why he personifies last year's offense in the sense he is a good player. He's going to go high in the draft. He's a talented kid. Anyone would want Gibbs on their team, but he's also a reason Alabama wasn't so good at running the ball on first and 10. And Alabama's going to put a better running back on the field this year than they did last year. So that's kind of how I feel about that. And I'll, I'll probably get some hate mail over it, but that's just how I feel. Well, I don't think it's an absurd take at all. Um, I, for the most part, I would agree with it. And I'm, I'm still trying to wrap my mind around all of it. So it's kind of hard for me to say yeah, I 100% agree with it. But at the same time, there's been nothing that you said that I'm like, oh, I don't agree with that. So I, I can't poke holes in it or, or say that I disagree with it. It's just something I got to kind of, I mean, I've thought about that a lot and I've actually written about it as well. Um, but just the way that you've put it, I mean, it's very, uh, it's very true. And, and I think that when you look at Alabama's offense, a lot of people talk about how it was built around Bryce Young and his skill set, which it was, and just how the identity of the offense kind of, it took a certain uh, direction because of some limitations that they have, but also because of some strengths. And some of those strengths were were Jameer Gibbs. And, and you certainly wanted to play around his strengths. You didn't want to put him in situations where he couldn't be successful. But that also included, you kind of lacked a dynamic, I wouldn't say dynamic, it was very dynamic. I would say a, a consistent uh, chain-moving style of run game that Bryce Young could really turn and rely on. And I think there were some times in games that, I mean, it, I don't think people also realize how momentum building it is. Like we talk about quarterback confidence, and, and Bryce Young could come out there and throw 12 times to start the game, and he's confident right out the gate. But at the same time, you know, imagine that LSU game. And they had some success running the football, especially early. So I'm not trying to say, oh, you know, it was the reason that Bryce Young threw that interception is because they were having to rely on him too much. But at the same time, when you go back and watch, you know, they're throwing the football down there on the goal line. And, and I think that the reason for that, they had run on first down, if I wasn't mistaken. I think Bryce threw the interception on second down. If they would have been able to get any sort of push up front offensively, and you now go from it being first and goal from the five-yard line to second goal from the two, you know, you could be a pickup three yards. You're probably trying to hammer that in. You probably score. And to me, I think that was the key play in the entire game. Because when you watch, now granted, LSU wasn't doing a lot of that spa stuff and trying to make things complicated for Alabama's offense. They had a game plan in place, and they were going to start implementing it once the uh, opening drive game script was done. But at the same time, I think that throwing that interception, for whatever reason, Bryce Young has turned the football over before. It didn't affect him in that football game. Just the way the offense was operating on that first drive, you never saw it operate that way for the rest of the game. It felt out of sorts. Bryce Young, not only was he, he wasn't seeing stuff well. I feel like he was his his accuracy was terrible when he would see it. He couldn't get the ball in the vicinity of the player that he needed to. Uh, one of the worst games that, and granted, he made some clutch plays in that clutch play at the end where he was able to break several tackles and then then find I think Jacory Brooks for a touchdown. It's still a special type of player and he put that on display in that game but just when you go back and watch all I've never felt like Bryce Young was rattled other than that football game and if they would have been able to score the football on the ground by hammering it in you know you might have seen something completely different I mean it's an opening score drive it's making a statement you go out there and get a stop defensively I mean you're you're cooking with gas at that point I mean you're you're good to go uh so yeah I I completely agree that the offense I mean, you've replaced a, a 5'11", 199, 200-pound, fine-ass running back with, you know, a guy like Justice Haynes, who is not too much bigger, 5'11", 205, but he's a much different build for 205. I mean, it's five pounds, but he, the way he plays, it's a lot more power-based. 
He's going to run through tackles. He's going to play physical. He's going to carry some defenders. And I think that that, you know, the identity of the offense is going to be dictated based off of that. Doesn't mean that they're not going to throw the football a ton, but I think that they're going to be able to rely on that run game in those situations. And I think that helps the offense. Yeah, Jace is better, I think. I mean, I just call it the first and 10 running game. When it's first and 10 and you got a tight end or maybe a tight end and an H, whether you're in 11 personnel or 12 personnel and it's first and 10 and you want to run the ball, I, I think Jace is an upgrade over Gibbs. I think uh, I think Jam is going to be an upgrade over Gibbs and, and, and even Justice Haynes. They're just different style backs. Uh, going back to that that LSU play, you make such a great point on that. I, I As big as you believe that, that interception, was that change whole whole season because I, I believe that Alabama lost the LSU game on that play on the Bryce interception on the first uh, that that's when the game was lost and, and Alabama didn't recover and and I think part of it is I blame the injury when I watch that play over and over and I watch it so many times I've convinced myself at one point in the play Bryce has made the good decision to tuck the ball and run it in he, he's going to do it. I think he would have made it. I think he would have. But his brain operates so quickly. And we saw from his S2 score this week exactly how fast enough. His brain operates really quickly. I think Bryce knew that I need to run this ball in. It's it's the it's the best thing to do. But he realized to score, he was probably going to have to take the ball and reach it over the goal line and get hit and get hit. And that's exactly how he got hurt against Arkansas when he was reaching out with the ball towards the sideline in that instance, not the goal line, it was towards the sideline against Arkansas, but he took a hit on the shoulder while he was reaching with his arm and it would have looked similar. I think his brain moves so fast that he's like, I want to run this ball. Oh, I'm going to take a hit probably on the shoulder. I better not. And when he rethought against running it because he didn't want to take that hit, then he threw it too late and it got picked off. And, and, and I know that's a, 20 minute explanation over something that actually took place in about a second and a half, but that's how fast that kid's brain can move. I'm convinced of that. I, I, I think it was the injury. I think he didn't want to take a hit and he threw it. But to your more specific point, if Alabama could run the ball better than they did, Bryce would never have been in that position. The running back would have scored, uh, you know, on an earlier play uh, in the series. Yeah. I mean, I'll continue to reiterate uh, going back and watching it, which I have uh, several times. I really do feel like he made the correct decision. It was a poor throw, you know, and and I do agree that he probably could have run and scored. Just knowing Bryce in those situations, he's able to lull the defense into thinking he's going to run and then pulling it up. It's the point guard mentality. It's just, it's this very smooth. I mean, we've seen it a ton throughout his career. And, and I think that based off of the way that he had always kind of conducted himself and acted, it was a decision that was not out of the norm. It was Bryce being Bryce. And so I had no problem with the decision. It was just a, a you were right. It was a little bit late. If he leads him a little bit more, the throw is where, you know, it was very unbryce like, and that happens, but it just, you're also hundred percent correct that he should have never been in that position and past quarterbacks wouldn't have been put in that position. You know what it was kind of reminded me of? That drive against Texas A&M where he ended up throwing an interception down the, near the goal line because they couldn't punch the, the the ball in. And that's something that you dealt with with Bryce Young as the starting quarterback in both years. And granted, some of that is the result of his skill set and the way that the offense is designed around that. But at the same time, you really wish, or I really wish, that 
they could have figured out a way to make more of a consistent run game work. What's interesting is that if the two running backs that they signed in this recruiting cycle would have been the backs they signed last year, because I know that there was some talk about Emmanuel Henderson playing some running back, I think the coaching staff a lot earlier than any of us had him pegged as a receiver. He's just not that, you know, he's more of a slice and dice style of running back. And I think with where Alabama's wanting to take its offense, uh, I don't think that's necessarily the guy they're looking at. Jam Miller, certainly so. They saw him as a running back. I did too. You did as well. Three down. Uh, he was only, you know, 190, 195 pounds coming out of high school, but he played with a lot of power. Definitely had the frame that you knew he was going to be able to handle more weight. But at the same time, when you look, if they would have gotten the two guys that they signed with this class, it's possible that they wouldn't have even pursued Jameer Gibbs. And, you know, I think he was a great player at Alabama. And I know you do too. So this is not us knocking him. He was one of, if not the biggest playmaker on Alabama's offense other than Bryce Young. And he was a very important piece. Where would Alabama have been without him last year? Um, Might have had a little bit more power element to its its, uh, offense. But, I mean, where's the dynamic playmaking ability coming from, right? So, you know, it's kind of – there's two sides to everything, right? Um, But we did get a question that I wanted to try to get answered uh, before we hopped out of here. And we're also going to talk a little bit about the secondary. But uh, it was an anonymous question. They didn't want their name. Uh, I followed up and asked if they wanted it mentioned. They said no. But they said, hey, fellas, can you answer this question on the next Bama on three show? Who do you think ends up being in Alabama's defensive line rotation? I feel like there aren't enough people talking about Damon Payne. He was good in his limited snaps last year. Yeah, uh, and I do think Payne is in the rotation. I, I think there, there's Alabama's got a, a solid rotation, and it gets back to a point we made early in the show about stars emerging. I think Alabama's rotation is solid with solid good players. Guys we know are good. They're good. Tim Smith is a good player. Is he great? Not yet. He he, he shows great, but he's not great. He'd be great all the time. But He's good. Uh, Justin Aboibe's good, and, and he's shown flashes of greatness, but we know he's good. Jaheim Otis is probably a little closer to great. Now, he's a little closer to great, but he's a great nose guard. Terrence Cody was a first-team consensus All-American nose guard. He made about 13 tackles the whole year, and that's an exaggeration, but, but it's to make a point. You're never going to get stellar production out of the nose guard spot. What you can get when you have a great one is a guy that affects every snap or most every snap because he can't be blocked and he wrecks the offense's plans on just about every snap. Now, is he the one making the tackle? Is he the one making the sack? Is he the one throwing the back for the loss? Probably not, but he's the guy that blew up the play. And I think you have that in Otis. But you also have Damon Payne, who, who you know, the guy made – I agree. I think Payne was impressive in what he did in – his limited time, and there's every reason to believe he'll be a year better and be a good player. I think we know Jameel Burroughs is a good player and that Jamarian Latham is a good player at what he does. Burroughs and Latham being two of our better interior pass rushers and pass rushing situations. But the reason to be excited is an emerging star, and I think that emerging star is James Smith. I'm hoping that he makes some noise in the scrimmage on Saturday because we could really use a star player at that position. And boy, you got to be a star player to be a true freshman and break into that rotation because those six players I just went over, Smith, Otis, Aboigby, Payne, Latham, Burroughs, not only are those guys returning guys who played with the first team a year ago, they've played with the first team for multiple seasons, except Otis, who's young. The other five, 
they've been first team players for multiple seasons. So it's experienced and it's good, but to be great, we need to hope and not expect, but I, I think James Smith is the guy that can push that unit from good to great. Once again, I completely agree. And that's something that we've talked about. I did write an article projecting the defensive line snap rotation and, and the snap percentage for each of the top, you know, six or seven guys. And and I do think that, you know, typically Alabama's kept it around six guys in its defensive line rotation. Now, granted, you, you see guys like Justin Aboyby fall out of it because he gets hurt. That presented more opportunities for Jamil Burroughs. It presented more opportunities for Jamirian Latham. So their snap percentage might start to creep up there a little bit higher. It would have been lower had he not gotten hurt. Uh, I would actually argue that Alabama last year, but the fact that they used so many outside linebackers, and that was really where a lot of their rotation came from, and the fact that they used a lot more uh, of their you know nickel rabbits package with two de- uh, outside linebackers on the field, uh, the, the defensive line rotation, which we kind of predicted, but it, it suffered. Uh, when you actually look, I would say that they were rotating more like five or, or four or five guys. And, and I don't know if that continues. Like, I think they get back to more of the heavy nickel or the heavy fronts where they're using three true defensive linemen and one outside linebacker. But that's not a guarantee. You know, we're just kind of have to wait and see how things play out. Because if Keon Keeley gets on campus and he's like a guy that you just can't keep off the field, it's not like Chris Braswell is going to sit on the bench, you know, 90% of the snaps or 80% of the snaps. It's not like Dallas Turner is going to do that. So if, if, or if Jeremiah Alexander or if, you know, uh, Pierre, so many different outside linebackers, if they prove that they're worthy of playing time, Alabama's going to figure out how to get them on the field. And so that's, you know, we can't say definitively that they're going to be going back more to the heavy looks. But Jaheim Otis is one who I think, you know, the fact that he's dropped weight, he's going to see a much higher percentage of the snaps than he did last year. Justin DeBoyby, he was kind of flirting in that 50%, just over 50% range before he got hurt does that continue after the neck injury I don't know you know it's possible I predict them to be 40 percent or more him and Jaheim Otis to be the only two but that's kind of a, a TBD because of the fact that you know you've got guys you don't know where exactly where they're at as far as their health is concerned Tim Smith's going to be involved in the rotation I've seen some people suggest you know if he's not careful he'll end up getting replaced I mean I doubt it I mean he's going to see his snaps he might see a slight decrease in his snaps he might get DJ Deld, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Dell, I think, ended up playing maybe the highest percentage of snaps on the team outside of Byron Young, as far as the defensive line is concerned. But he didn't start. You know, he got replaced by a true freshman in the starting lineup. You know, that could maybe happen to Tim Smith, but he's going to be in the rotation. Jamil Burroughs, I think he's going to be in the rotation. Hearing good things about how he's been performing this spring. Uh, Jamirian Latham, that's another one. You know, especially if Justin Aboyby is on some kind of snap count uh, or, or snap you know, pitch count or whatever you want to call it. I think he'll be involved, but James Smith is is the one. And this is the way I'm going to start describing it, Jimmy. And this is both sides of the football. How many headaches do you got? The more headaches you got, the better you're going to be. You know, if you, if you got headaches on offense, if you got, you know, Najee Harris and and Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle and Henry Ruggs and Irv Smith Jr. And Jerry Judy and and two, a tongue of a low at quarterback, you got a bunch of headaches for opposing defenses and opposing defensive coordinators you're going to be really good offensively. The more headaches you got on defense, and this could be position group based, or this is, could be you know a collective unit, but how many headaches do you got? And I think you got a bunch of really good players, but I think Jaheim Otis is a headache, and I think James Smith can be a headache. And when you describe it that way, that's kind of the picture that I think both you and I are trying to paint here. 
is that if he can prove to be ready, which we don't know if he will be, he might be ready for a small percentage of snaps, but not enough to make a significant difference in the outcome of a game. He can help win some games, but is he the one that's wrecking game plans, you know, when you're playing, you know, 20% of the snaps? Maybe not. But if he can prove that he's ready to handle a larger workload, kind of like Jaheim Motus did last year, and he can be as disruptive as Jaheim Motus was last year, and you've now got two of those guys, there were some inconsistencies with Jaheim Motus that was to be expected. There probably would be some with James Smith. But I think that you've got two potential headaches there, and I think they could give you know, opposing offensive coordinators uh, a lot of problems as far as their scheme and game plan is concerned, and that makes the job of everybody else easier. You know, if you've got the the players out there on the edge, you're getting the complimentary interior guys. Linebackers are going to be running free. You know, we talk about how that play, you know, it hadn't been as good as of late. You're going to have guys running free to the football, making a ton of plays at linebacker, and you're going to think they're all Americans. And a lot of that could be dictated based off of the guys, the performance of the guys playing in front of them. Oh, absolutely true. Absolutely true. And I love the headache thing. I'm definitely – I would say stealing it. All, all, all we do is work together. So you're going to see it every time that I use it. You'll see it every time I use it. But uh, no, I, I like it. it. It's a great description of what Alabama needs. I, I, I think those that are worried that we're not good enough are underrating how many good players, we good proven players that we have. But for Alabama to achieve great things, we do. We need more headaches. We need more, more guys that, that the other team has to game plan against. They're, they're like – well, we play good players every week in this league, but we don't see an Otis. We don't see a James Smith. We don't see a Malik Benson or a Jam Miller. I mean, they need to be different. Alabama needs more guys to step up and be difference makers and headaches. Uh, but at the same time, uh, there is an acknowledgement on our part. Alabama does have a number of good players. The defensive line is a super example of that. Several good proven players. But greatness, Otis, Jaheim Otis, I think James Smith can get there. Some of the other guys are great in flashes. Tim Smith has made five or six spectacular plays in his career, but there's five or six. Yeah, I'm right there with you, man. It's like we've talked about before. The, the complimentary side of things is great, you know, but you need to have those guys who are causing the headaches and making opposing coordinators lose sleep at night. You know, and, and that's just something that I don't think Alabama has gotten enough from from their defensive line, really since Quinn and Williams left. Uh, I would have loved to have seen. Just imagine what Alabama's defensive front. Now, granted, it, Quinn and Williams was a good run defender, certainly good for his size. But was he that you know space eating Jaheim Otis, Terrence Cody style of player? No, but just the disruptiveness is how he created for others. He didn't command. Uh, attention due to his size. He commanded attention due to his quickness and his uh, penetrating ability and the fact that he could knife into the backfield. It's just he, he affected game plans in other ways, and, and it created for some of the guys behind him or really just all over the defense. But I just would have loved to have seen a Quinnen Williams caliber presence on the interior with you know a Dallas Turner, Will Anderson, and then you got Chris Braswell there on the exterior. Like how special would that have been? It's unfortunate. That's how how it works sometimes, though. But I think that Alabama's got to, if Dallas Turner can prove to be the player that we all expected him to be last year, and Chris Braswell can be a really good player as well, which we all know that he's certainly capable of being. And you know, a Keyline, uh, Keon Keeley ends up coming in there and you know uh, makes an immediate impact, or ends up getting in the rotation, or one of these other just tons of outside linebackers who've got a lot of talent in their own right can step up 
and then you've got James Smith maybe causing some havoc on the interior. I'll tell you what, this could be a very special defensive front, and and that's after losing arguably the best defensive player uh, during the Nick Saban era and Will Anderson Jr. I mean, that's that's pretty crazy to think about, but that's where this group could be. Will it be there? We don't know. We'll have to wait and see how some of these guys progress, but a lot of potential there. Uh, that's going to wrap it up for today's episode. We only got a minute left, but Jimmy, I appreciate you taking time on your Friday. I know the listeners certainly do as well. Hopefully we can uh, get back into the lab and talk on Monday. I'm excited uh, that there's going to be more Bama on three shows. Uh, and like you said, we have a, uh, uh, you know, uh, announcements to come. But in the meantime, there's going to be more Bama on three shows, and uh, I'm looking forward to every one of them. I am too, man. This has been a lot of fun. It's always a lot of fun getting to talk with you, and we appreciate everybody listening. If you haven't already, go get, leave us a five-star review. Let our bosses know that this is absolutely worth our time. And uh, we, we do have a big announcement coming pretty soon, so I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Once again, we appreciate you guys listening in. This is the Bama on three show, and I'm your host, Clint Lamb.